Welcome to Maximal Being, a podcast devoted to ditching fad diets and using real science to get you healthy and feeling great. I'm Doc Mock, a GI and functional medicine doctor who harnesses the power of gut health to get you achieving your goals. And I'm Jackie P, a well-informed layman who challenges the experts and asks the questions that you want. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button or leave a comment. And now, on to the show. What's going on, Maximal Beings? Doc Mock here with Maximal Being Gut Health, Nutrition, and Fitness. You know, I didn't learn this until I was a gastroenterologist, but men can have babies too. And I'm not talking about birthing another human being. I'm talking about food babies. <laughs> Today, we're talking about one of the relative alphabet soups of GI, that's IBS, much different than inflammatory bowel disease or IBD. And joining me today, coming back to the show, is Dr. Susan Case, and we have Ms. Katie Regan. Um, we're going to be talking about such a uh, widespread topic, which affects so many of you out there. Um, and as always, I'm Doc Mock. I'm a therapeutic endoscopist. That's a special type of GI doctor that deals mostly with cancer. And I'm also a functional medicine doctor. And returning to the show, Dr. Susan Case. Hi guys, thanks for having me back once again. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Dr. Susan Case. I am a GI doctor in Grand Rapids, Michigan in a private practice, but I did a advanced training in inflammatory bowel diseases at the University of Miami. And my love for the gut is immense. That's why I'm here talking to you guys, trying to shed some light on some complex, but very palatable and approachable problems. So I'm going to pass over the mic to uh, Katie. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Um, I am Katie. I am a dietitian at Modify Health. Uh, Modify Health is a meal delivery service that's catering to those uh, who have sensitive GI, so especially IBS patients. Paleo, keto, vegan, and carnivore. Maybe you've tried them all, but did you have success? Are you still doing that diet? Turns out there's not just one diet right for one particular person. By understanding how your body works and the relationship behind your body's workings and these diets, you can then approach the perfect plan for you. In the Perfect Human Diet course, we talk to you about your body's inner workings and the pros and cons of each plan. We discuss how our ancestors ate and have eaten and lay a framework to tailoring a plan that is perfect for you. To learn more about the Perfect Human Diet course, head to MaximalBeam.com slash courses to find out more. And as always, I'm Doc Mock, and I'm here to maximize your health. You cannot supplement your way to health, but there are things that we need to add to our lives that can maximize our pathway to wellness. The American diet is virtually devoid of omega-3 fatty acids, which play a major role in cardiovascular disease, gut permeability, and mental health. Personally, I take omega-3s every night and iHerb is the best place for clean, natural sources of supplements. I love the ZenWise Omega-3 Fatty Acid Supplement, which is free of fish burps and good for the environment. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash iHerb, that's I-H-E-R-B, and enter the code B as in boy, D as in dog, B as in boy, 5528, and receive 10% off your orders for all supplements. Maximize your supplements with iHerb. 
Wonderful. We're, we're so excited to have both of you on to talk about, you know, such an important topic. And so, you know, without further ado, I, I think it's really important for the listeners out there to understand what IBS is or irritable bowel syndrome, what the symptoms are and how it's different from what we talked about the last time you were on the show, Dr. Case is IBD or inflammatory bowel disease. Absolutely. I think a lot of times, unfortunately, a lot of individuals, it's not their fault, um, confuse IBD with IBS. So come on, I got my IBD is flaring or my IBS is flaring. They don't really understand what the difference is because both are extremely different and treated extremely differently. Um, like you mentioned earlier, inflammatory bowel disease, IBD is an autoimmune driven phenomenon treated completely different than IBS. IBS is irritable bowel syndrome um, that can be due to a, a dysbiosis of your microbiome. It can be due to a gut brain access dysregulation. It can be due to some sort of um, food trigger that we're going to go uh, and talk about more about during today's um, discussion. So those two things are just really important to separate. So we're not going to talk about IBD today. We're talking about IBS, but I'd like to point out that just because you have IBD doesn't mean you can't have a combination of IBS too, which can be kind of confusing when, when you don't know which one's acting up on you, but that's for a topic for another day. So IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, which about 10 to 15% of the U.S. population do suffer with, but unfortunately, uh, it takes a long time for these individuals to actually get a diagnosis or even consider coming in or feeling comfortable to talk about their symptoms. So patients with IBS come in three, I guess, three flavors, I call it. So you have a IBS diarrhea predominance, IBS constipation predominance and IBS mixed pattern. So you can have 50, 50 of both. These patients will come in complaining about for, so to start with the diarrhea, run of the mill diarrhea, urgency, frequency, they say they eat something and immediately shortly thereafter, they're running to the bathroom. Constipation patients, they have the typical constipation that people complain about. They can't go for an allotted three, four, five days, week on end without taking some kind of over-the-counter remedy or concoction they've come up with in their home that helps promote a bowel movement. And then you can have a combination of the two. Um, the additional complaints that patients will have is a lot of bloating, cramping. Um, they won't per se necessarily complain of uh, blood in the stool or what we call alarm signs or unintentional weight loss. Those are all alarm signs that make us lean more towards an inflammatory bowel condition. Um, so that's just the most simplistic explanation for the uh, irritable bowel syndrome, the diarrhea predominance, constipation predominance, or a combination of the two called the mixed predominance. I think that's so well put. I mean, very concise. Uh, and there's definitely an overlap between the two and it is a spectrum. I always describe it to people as, you know, if you inflate a balloon in my colon, I may not feel it, 
But if you have IBS, you may feel even the slightest inflation of your balloon. So people are just wired differently. Their neurologic systems are differently, whether that be due to the actual nerves or the gut microbiome or the, the nerve uh, transmitters that the, the microbiome makes. We don't really know. And it's different in every single person. There usually is a triggering event though, right guys? I mean, you know, whether it's a traumatic event, some life stressor. So uh, Katie, you know, when you're starting to talk to people about this, do you ever notice a trend in, you know, I did this or I got sick and then I started to get my symptoms? Yeah, that's a great point. So a lot of patients, they'll come in and they'll talk about how, you know, they can kind of trigger down to one time I went down to South America and drank the water and had food poisoning. And that seems to be something that we're slowly learning is a, um, a cause of IBS. There's still other things out there that we're learning about what can be the predominant reason for having IBS. Um, but really one of the causes is that, but the other thing that I always like to talk to people about is just stress management. You know, when I was traveling for six weeks in Australia and New Zealand and early in the early 2020s before quarantine, um, I had absolutely no gut problems with wheat, which is like my big trigger. And it's not like the wheat is much different down there. Um, as Monash University in Australia is the reason, uh, is where the low FODMAP diet protocol, um, came about, but really what it was, was I was just not working. I was hiking every day. I was surfing, you know, just living the absolute dream. So no stress triggers at all caused me to have, you know, a peaceful stomach. So I always want to say that too. Also, it's just, you know, it's sometimes has to do with just your stress levels and what you're inducing in your life. Yeah. What, what amazing points. I mean, you know, the brain gut connection is real and, you know, Katie, feel free to throw like your card down if I'm getting too nerdy here, but <laughs> you know, that we have this system in our body called the enteric nervous system or ENS, right? We usually think fight or flight, rest and digest. So like these two systems, but there's a third one actually where, this is your gut. And this is the way that your gut moves and shakes things. And the same things that make us feel anxious, scared, depressed will also make your gut feel anxious, scared, and depressed and vice versa. And so, you know, it is important to heal up here in order to heal down here. Dr. Case. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I think that's a great point too. I think uh, what I always try to tell people about is sometimes even just working with a therapist can really help just get guiding yourself into care that you need. Absolutely. And you also touched on the fact that exercise, you know, so too much exercise, bad for the gut, right? It actually, yeah. we have found in animal studies that, you know, you get little holes in the gut when people do too, too much exercise or exercise in extreme temperature conditions. But a little bit of exercise is so good for the gut, right? And moving people have the right amount of movement in their bowels. Yeah. And that's actually, if you don't mind, I add, um, I used to want to force myself to be a runner. I'm like, I'm athletic. I can run. I can do this. But I realized that that's actually not good for my stomach. It's like the constant like moving. So I can walk 16 plus miles in a day and it doesn't bother me whatsoever. And my legs get a great workout in. Um, but yeah, I would also, yeah, just to make it into something that you can see and be like, why did I not like running? And you have IBS. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, there are actually studies in CrossFit style athletes from 2017, where they randomized them to either being on, you know, kind of a rest time period or not. And they actually found a lot of their leaky gut markers go up during those times of extreme exercise. And similarly, I'm sure Dr. Case has seen this actual athletes can infarct their bowels, like have complete, like a heart attack of their bowels during times of extreme marathon running. Mm -hmm. Dr. Case, I always have a hard time as a practitioner, number one, validating if somebody actually does have IBS, right? I think that we kind of throw it around if we don't necessarily know what's going on, but you know, somebody gets labeled as this for the rest of their life, go, go on a diet because somebody told them to, and maybe they actually have organic disease versus on the other end, somebody's suffering and undiagnosed. So how do you approach diagnosing these people? Well, of course, number one, encouraging patients to come in and talk about their symptoms. For example, I had a young lady that, that very given scenarios following with her primary care doctor, she was having all these GI complaints. And every time she would go in, he would say, oh, you need to lose weight and go on a plant-based diet. You need to lose weight, go on a plant-based. And she's like, but doc, I'm, I'm trying to do all those things, but I'm still having these problems. He never referred her. She just self-referred herself to me. Um, so you just basically have to start from scratch. You listen to all their complaints. You find out what are their bowel habits? What is their abdominal pain? So you get a good history. When did it start? Um, is this different uh, than your what your baseline is a year ago, let's say? Is there any new things that are going on in your life? Are there new stressors? Are you taking up a new job? Are you going through a divorce? Have you just moved to the area? Trying to figure out if there's a a stressor and then doing the formal workup that comes with it. Looking at labs, looking uh, potentially if it's um, appropriate, having to do a colonoscopy for further evaluation, taking biopsy. So it all starts with one, the patient having the courage to come in and sit down and talk to us. Two, getting to the right GI doctor that will hear your complaints. Then getting a very good thorough history figuring out what your complaints are, where you were, where you are now, and then following that up with a thorough workup that includes labs, stool studies, and then plus or minus an endoscopy. And then the the other thing that I failed to mention when you were, you know, asking me the difference between an inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome, when these patients come in complaining about uh, their changing ever changing bowel habits, they'll say that they'll get, let's say irritable bowel syndrome, diarrhea predominance for 24 hours, 72 hours, two weeks. And then suddenly without any intervention goes back to soft, normal bowel movements for like several months or a week or two weeks. And then it flips to either back to diarrhea and they can't really figure out what it is or if they're the constipation, like it presents something similar that they're having drawn out constipation for a good period of time. And they can't figure out what they're doing. They're drinking plenty of water. They're eating enough fiber. They're going buying over the counter remedies to try to help promote bowel movements. And then one day they wake up, it's all gone. They feel great. They are like, Oh, they attributed some random 
you know, coincidental thing that they had. And then they're like, well, this is what healed me. Um, and then they go about their day and then it starts all over again. And then the same thing with that mixed pattern, either presenting with that diarrhea um, for a period of time, then suddenly resol um, resolving on its own to normal bowel movements and then flipping into constipation, vice versa. Um, so that uh, is what I would say with regards to patients coming in and finding us and talking to us so we can start the workup and start to see what we can do about uh, getting them back to feeling uh, like their baseline self and a better version of themselves. But first of all, getting to us is the, the, the starting point. Yeah, that, that's so well put. You know, I, we do have criterion that we use, you know, by this functional um, GI association called the Rome group. Right. Um, Criteria. Meet, guess where they meet most of the time? Probably not this year if I had to guess. Sorry. Zoom? Yeah. yeah, right. Um, but, you know, I've always had a problem with you have to have symptoms for six months. Like why? does IBS have to be marked at that time? I, I have yet to see evidence that shows validity behind that. My general approach is rule out the scary stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Things like cancer, things like inflammatory bowel disease, organic diseases that, you know, require medical therapy. And if we're out of that stress response, then we, then I put my functional medicine hat on. And that's when I'm looking at things like advanced food sensitivity panels, um, Genova panels where we're looking at, you know, inflammatory markers within the stool and the microbiome in kind of more of an uh, overview advanced way. Katie, you know, from a nutrition standpoint, I also think that people sometimes mislabel food sensitivities as IBS. And I also think that people with IBS have a lot of food sensitivities. So if you could just educate the audience here about what those common overlap food sensitivities are? Yeah, that's a great question. And I do agree a lot of, I, as I put it this way, I'm like, if you have one problem with your gut, likely have a second one. It's never that easy of just really dealing with one thing. So for some patients, maybe they have a gluten intolerance. And so I think that's where you also, as you're working with your providers and your physicians here, that's something you want to be able to genuinely understand by getting the colonoscopy to evaluate if you have, you know, a serious celiac issue before going on that route of going through IBS. So we also know that IBS can sometimes be paired with SIBO and there's a lot of overlap there. So what we find though, is that if you're trying to do the low FODMAP protocol, which I'm happy to go into, if you're going into that low FODMAP protocol and you're still having some kind of gut issues after having eliminated all of these giant trigger foods, that's probably a good way to check in to see if there's other food sensitive sensitivities playing a part in it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, really well put. I think there is a huge overlap in gluten intolerance as well as lactose intolerance. And mm -hmm. we also pulled some research, you know, from the nutrition literature that showed there's an overlap with things, even with soy, certain forms of nuts. And all of these are part of our approach to, to patients. I like to do the IFM or Institute of Functional Medicine elimination diet where it kind of just sets the reset button, like push the reset button, you get rid of the food triggers, and then you empower your patient 
to introduce single variables and see how they feel. And the reason why we wait for six weeks is because the microbiome in your gut doesn't, you know, flip a switch, despite my analogy, you know, it takes time for those bacteria to kind of settle down and shift, um, shift things. Mm -hmm. Dr. Case, you know, so we started to touch on low FODMAP diet is low FODMAP diet your go-to. And then, you know, maybe both of you can start to talk about what are FODMAPs. Sounds cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like we were talking about, uh, just giving an example of a patient coming in and having been labeled, I have IBS. Okay. So maybe you do, we do the workup, blah, blah, blah. We rule out these scary things. You don't have inflammatory bowel disease. You don't have celiac disease. You don't have any other organic, uh, pathology. So we're left with IBS. You're fitting our Rome criteria. So now we're now we are IBS. So now what are we going to do about it? So I always tell patients there's three parts to this. We're going to approach in a stepwise approach. We're going to see number one, is there something that you are doing in your diet and which is the most conservative thing that we can possibly do to see if we can find it and help you that way. The second thing that's out there is your microbiome, you know, the, um, the imbalance there. And the third thing is a gut brain, um, disconnect. So, but number one, we're going to start with diet. So initially in my younger days, I will say, I I'm embarrassed to say that I had these FODMAP diets, which number one, the FODMAP diet is not a diet. It again is a misnomer because People associate diet as something they have to do indefinitely, and it's not something to do indefinitely. So I preface it with, it's called a diet, but it's not a diet. It's an elimination diet. And I initially used to say, here you go, take this handout, come back and see me in about two to three months. Let me know how things go. (laughs) They go, they come back. Unfortunately, they come back to me and say, you know what? took your hand out. I did some research on the internet. I couldn't figure out how to start, where to start, when to start. You know what? Forget about it. I'm not going to even waste my time. I was like, yikes. I mean, could it really be that hard? So then I thought, well, how can I do a better job? I, number one, don't have the time to sit with my patients. I'm in the community. I don't really know my local nutritionist. But you know what? I'm going to start actually referring them to nutritionists and see kind of do my own kind of trial and error, see what pans out of this. And what I found was a great success with patients after going and having the time to sit with the nutritionist to lay down the foundation. What the heck does that that acronym mean? How do I translate it into my everyday freaking life? And how can you help me find something or things that are making me feel unwell? And how can I feel better? And by doing that, I've had such great success with that. Um, And I tell patients that, you know, you may or may not find it, but don't give up. There are other pieces to the puzzle that we will work through. But if you do, yay, victory. And that's the most conservative thing you can do. Um, So with that being said, I will 
let Katie take us uh, through that. But before I go on and say that, the other thing that I came across and how I connected with Katie is in our GI Hepatology magazine, there was a really nicely written article about Modify Health, which is a company that Katie um, is affiliated with and um, about having a IBS catered delivery program connected with a on-call nutritionist that you could work with if you're not satisfied with what you're getting in your community and somebody to walk with you and be there like at your fingertips. Um, and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. I mean, I haven't had any of my patients tell me about this and I'm reading about this in our GI and hepatology magazine. This is pretty cool. And one thing led to another and I entered a giveaway <laughs> and bam, I, I won uh, and it was a quote unquote, a guinea pig. I will let patients know I do suffer from IBS myself. I get you. I got you. You're at a restaurant, you eat something and you can't even leave the restaurant with all your friends already in the car and you are in the bathroom. Be like, ah, uh, Dr. Case is in the bathroom. I'm not sure how long this is going to take. <laughs> Something did not agree with her. I mean, we're only human. So I was yeah. like, wow. And if this can really simplify my life, why not? I got the first seven meals. I was like, this is amazing. I've actually never felt better. So um, that's my little spiel on their uh, Modify Health's uh, low FODMAP, gluten-free, dairy-free, uh, catered um, company that Katie works for. And she is going to talk to us more about low FODMAP diet and how patients can um, start that, what that all means and how she walks patients through it so they can hopefully have some good success with it. Thanks, Dr. Case. You said so many wonderful things in there. And one of them that I do want to mention is you mentioned about referring out to a nutritionist so that way your patients can get guided through that low FODMAP protocol. So the research shows that low FODMAP can work with anywhere from 50 to 86% of patients but the people who are in those studies with the 86% success after the low FODMAP protocol, they are the patients that are working with a provider to help guide them through. So there are dietitians that are trained in the low FODMAP approach that can be really helpful for a patient's success. So what is low FODMAP? We've talked about it enough, so I'll go ahead and I'll start breaking it down for us. So FODMAP is an acronym that stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. A lot of uh, saccharides there. So yes. <laughs> if you did yeah, exactly. If you didn't study chemistry or have to take some of those um, with uh, some classes with us in college, really the saccharides is just breaking down to a carbohydrate. Um, and those are the different groups of them. Um, so F being fermentable, this just means that 
these carbohydrates, when they go into your gut, they are a lot harder to digest. So they pull in water. So that can either cause people to have diarrhea or, you know, it's so difficult to digest and the stomach is just working rapidly, causing you to get bloated and whatnot. But you can also get caused, you know, uh, constipation on one end from these mm -hmm. fermentable saccharides. Then we're going down to the oligosaccharides. So these are these are things that are found in wheat and um, onion and garlic. And I always want to specify, I thought I was gluten intolerant or I was going to try to test gluten intolerance when I was younger because I was like, why is it that whole wheat bread is giving me such bad gas? <laughs> and I'm like, we, I am like, all right, once I cut that, I just felt significantly better. But having since learned about FODMAPs, I learned that it was the wheat that's actually been my trigger. So I can have sourdough bread because of how it's fermented differently. So that's kind of an example I always like to show about oligosaccharides in those groups. Um, the next group is disaccharides, which is your lactose. So this is in your milk and your soft cheeses. So you, when you're doing these low FODMAP protocols, you are going low FODMAP. You're not going no FODMAP, but you are eliminating high, um, high lactose products like milk, but you can still have some hard cheeses. Um, and then the next thing we'll talk about is monosaccharides. So that means one sugar. So simple sugar, kind of think more so about honey or apples and your fruits. Uh, you're going to see more of the monosaccharides present in there. And so a lot of patients might have some GI problems there. And then lastly is polyols, which this is, you know, larger groups of saccharides. And this is found in a lot of fruits and vegetables, as well as some artificial sweeteners. So if you're ever thinking that you're having some problems with your GI and you realize you're drinking a lot of Diet Coke, that could be <laughs> the problem there. It's like almost like, you know, maybe eliminate it all together, but maybe also if you need to wean off, go to regular Coke first. Um, but with that, so like that's the FODMAPs. Those are the foods that you're going to try to lower the quantity that you're bringing in or make substitutions. And in this low FODMAP, as Dr. Kays was also saying, we don't like to call it a diet. So I kind of call it a protocol. So you eliminate in the first part. So you're taking in this low FODMAP. And then while you're doing the next stage, that's the reintroduction stage. And within the reintroduction, you are pulling one group at a time. You're going to pull out one of those foods and you're going to, let's say I do the elimination and I just miss dairy. So I want to try to reintroduce um, soft cheese or maybe I'll choose milk as the example. I'll take, you know, the first day only bringing in a fourth cup. Then, all right, seeing my symptoms, writing those down, see how I tolerated it. If I say I felt like I did pretty good there, then the next day I will go to a half cup of milk. And then if I still feel good and tolerate it there, I can put that in my food diary saying tried it and it went well. 
And then the third day, I'm going to do maybe three force cup. And then that's when I realize, oh, my stomach hurts and my symptoms are back. So now I know my threshold of how much dairy I can have on that end. And you do that with each one of the groups uh, just to kind of figure it out. And you're low FODMAP throughout that, but just reintroducing one group at a time. And then once you're done with this elimination stage, you have your personalized approach. Now you can go to the restaurant with Dr. K's <laughs> confidence and you can choose the items based on your, you know, what you need to avoid. So if I know that I have to avoid, you know, wheat, then I can just substitute maybe for a gluten-free bun on something like that. So, so that's really the goal there. Is it fair, Katie? So when I tell patients, you know, let's start with this low, let's try it with the FODMAP diet. I'm going to refer you to, to a nutritionist. And, you know, I tell patients you have everything to gain and nothing to lose and do it right. It's probably going to be over from my understanding, uh, you're going to do this over a three week course. And is that the allotted amount of time people should be putting in their brain that it's going to take them to, um, do the, uh, the FODMAP protocol because you're right i hate calling it a diet because it's really not a diet it's like a, this roadmap to try to figure out what identifying what is a potential trigger for them is that appropriate that's a a good question so with timing i always say that most people are going through the elimination phase for 2 to 6 weeks so mm -hmm. most people if they're doing fully low fodmap during those times two weeks is fine. We've seen that with a lot of people who try modify health meals is that two weeks they find complete relief mm -hmm. and then they're hesitant. That's why they should work with a dietitian because you've just found so much relief. Why would you want to trigger your stomach problems? Right. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but this is why you work with a dietitian to kind of kickstart you. Mm -hmm. um, and then that reintroduction phase that ends up being about six weeks because you go one week at a time, each different group, and then that helps you understand which um, which foods are your triggers. So I would say all in all, it's probably just over eight weeks, but you really, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe at max you're doing three months. Okay. Um, but my problem is one of our pitfalls we always see is that people are on this for way too long. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. People do this for way too long because they, they are considering it a diet that they need yep. to stay on. And definitely like, I've eliminated all these things. Like, well, why have you eliminated all of them? Because I'm on the low FODMAP diet. I'm like, Oh man. Okay. We have to start over. Okay. You're supposed to identify a trigger, not stay away from all of these things. Yeah. So they really, you know, did are they're God bless them. They're trying, but they're just yeah. not instructed. It's not that easy. I mean, Sorry. if you're just trying to do it yourself, you can really not get really confused. And then you go onto the internet and it's laden with all kinds of stuff. You're just getting pointed in every and other direction. Like, What's up from down with this low FODMAP, you know, uh, diet protocol if, um, was a better um, a name for it. So I should be telling patients to anticipate about uh, two months yeah. of being on this. So when they're doing this, do you give them uh, instructions on keeping a 
particular type of um, journal or log for each of the categories and you, the quantity and then their bowel habits and if they're having abdominal pain. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So it's always great for when people are pairing this with a food log and a symptom log. So you Mm -hmm. can kind of really cross over and uh, examine what might have been the triggers. Mm -hmm. Most of the dietitians on my team will end up using the Monash University app. Mm -hmm. And they can also use Modify Health does have a app that's good for logging, you know, what your symptoms are. How did you feel today? How did you also feel you did with the protocol? Like, did you actually stick to low FODMAP mm-hmm. or were you kind of, you know, just eating out with a friend? Um, yeah. So there's ways to help patients, obviously in the era of apps, there's apps that will help patients not only log, but also track how they're feeling. Because sometimes, you know, I forget what I had like three days ago and how I felt three days ago, but when I actually have it written down or track it in an app, I'm like, oh yeah, like this really didn't really agree with me, even though I'm trying to forget it because I like it so much. So yeah. that's, that's good to point out too. I don't know, um, doc, if you have any, um, similar issues with, uh, the diet and the extensiveness of it, or how does that differ from the functional medicine approach and reintroduction that you were mentioning earlier? Yeah, I, I think some of the um, biggest differences between the two dietary approaches are there are a few food allergens that are not specifically addressed in the low FODMAP approach, which are soy mm-hmm. and nuts, in particular peanuts. Now they do address legumes, right? But mm-hmm. you know they don't say specifically peanuts, and I think a lot of patients don't think of peanut as a oh, legume; legume. They think no. of it as a nut. So you're right, and people mm-hmm. can have nut allergies. Um, And then also it doesn't address proteins and what your proteins may be eating also. And so that leads me to my question for you, Katie, is if I'm restricting all this stuff, what can I eat? (laughs) Well, that's a great way for me to plug low FODMAP meals from Modify Health. (laughs) But also, yeah. There are, um, there are low FODMAP meals. And of course, Modify Health is a provider of these meals. And I always put it this way. They are like a coloring book or, you know, you're just learning how to read. And so you have the picture book in front of you seeing, all right, this is what I can have on a low FODMAP meal. You get to see, you know, the chicken, you can see the salmon, the fish options that we have. Um, as well as the vegetables that are in there. So there are some vegetables that are, I I like them because they're no FODMAPs. They're not a problem. I can eat endless carrots. I have great eyes, (laughs) despite wearing my blue light blockers right now. So it looks like I don't still have Um, Mm 20-20. But yeah, so what I always say is, um, if you check out the Monash app, This is this app that Monash University created to help guide people on the food that they can eat. Now, again, we talked about this being a carbohydrate problem. This is a problem with those saccharides. Um, So you're not too worried about the protein sources here. Um, Although, as you mentioned, soy can be an issue because that is not just a straight 100% protein 
So the carbohydrate in there is kind of where we see the issue. Um, as well as if you're using the Monash app, you can see, you know, there's zucchini, carrots, the heads of broccoli and how much you can have of broccoli, even though it's not necessary. It's one that people always think as a huge trigger, but there is a threshold limit to it. So you can measure out how many, you know, different heads of broccoli. I think it's like nine to 12 um, heads will be low FODMAP. And then over that can cause the trigger symptoms. So um, I always just say, if you want a guide to it, check out Modify Health. We have a lot of great resources. Um, there's also a company called FODMAP Every Day. That's one of our partners that I really love because I'm a huge cook myself. I love recipes and they have nearly a thousand low FODMAP recipes. See, now I am not a lover of cooking because I just don't have the time to do everything <laughs> under the sun. And I will say like, for example, today, I myself um, took one of my modify health meals to, for lunch was basically um grilled chicken, barbecue, barbecue chicken, mac and cheese and broccoli. Oh, you got that recipe. I got that recipe. It was delicious. Um, and, uh, two minutes in the microwave. Great. And then I was just like looking at the, the front label and I was like, how many proteins is in this? And I was like, Dang, 54 grams of protein. Woo. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's such a small piece of chicken, but that's a lot of protein. I'm like just kind of monitoring uh, my protein intake, just, you know. Uh, so this, the, the meals are, you know, good amounts of proteins from what I've experienced so far. And I've been enjoying uh, the uh, variety as well as, um, how easy, um, they are to get to work and just literally two minutes and it's made my life, uh, a lot easier. And then I have a little bit, of, I have some wiggle room in the evening for something for dinner, or if I don't feel like cooking, I have an extra meal and that takes the worry about triggering any of my, um, GI distress, um, issues. But I also, you know, think it's an, um, important for, for patients to know sometimes too, like, uh, I think documenting that patients are on this for a very, very long time when they're not really supposed to, or thinking that if they just do gluten-free, dairy-free, they'll have the same results. There's a lot that goes into this. It's, it's really not straightforward. It is really, really an art. And it's a dance that you do with your, your physician, your nutritionist, um, it can even be done even, you know, if you have the uh, other allergies, uh, food allergies, it's, it's a really well orchestrated um, dance trying to figure out what is driving what, how can we get you feeling better. So don't get discouraged if you're like feeling like you're not making very progress, but Think about it. If you've been suffering for a really long time, you might not get that answer overnight, but it's going to be those small little victories that will add up in the long run, as opposed to just not doing anything. Yeah, I think you got to celebrate the wins along the way and mm -hmm. every incremental change that you make in your nutrition and your health is a win 
you know, take, take that in the win column exactly. and then move on to the next thing, whether it just be getting soda out of your life or processed food, it, it's all good. Yeah. So we have, uh, you know, we have to go to a commercial break, but we'll be right back after the break with Dr. Susan Case and Katie Regan with Modify Health. What's going on, Maximal Beings? It's Doc Mock here. Many of you are returning to the gym now, but some are not going back. Regardless of what you plan, Rogue has got the right gear to fit your needs. I personally own a barbell set and love it. The black op shorts are sweat resistant and flexible for getting deep in your squats. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash Rogue for our referral link. Order three items and they ship for free. And as usual, it's Doc Mock, and I'm here to maximize your pathway to wellness. If you're stuck at home and cannot make it to the grocery store, delivery may be the best way to stay clean and healthy. Instacart is the national leader in the direct-to-home delivery service. With numerous major chains and food from smaller stores, you can get those local veggies sent directly to your doorstep. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash Instacart and maximize your nutrition today. And we're back. Uh, we're here with Dr. Susan Case and Katie Regan talking about IBS. Many of you may be experiencing it while we're talking about the topic. It may be flaring right now. And we're talking about uh, different dietary approaches. Um, you know, uh, I often think about things that I can add also to improve patient symptoms. Um, so there's certain nutraceuticals that we can employ. Carrots being loaded with one of them, vitamin A. But you know, Dr. Case, is is there anything else that you go to 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 improve your patient symptoms apart from the medicines that we give? Apart from the medicines, I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about diet. So we talked, I also mentioned like there's different parts to IBS. So there's looking at the microbiome and you can um, change your microbiome by the diet you eat. Um, there are FDA approved medications uh, that we can use to try to help uh, promote um, a back in your microbiome imbalance, if you will. And then the other thing is looking at the gut brain access, looking at what stressors that you might be, that are, might be prevalent in your life that is contributing and trying to see if we can help shine a light on those things and to see if we can help guide you. Um, like I had a patient that says, you know, every time I uh, get anxious, this happens, or just going about my daily life, I have so much anxiety and stress. And like, you're a young individual, you can't go through life like this being handicapped by your anxiety, which is then manifesting in, you know, the abrupt change in your bowel habits. And I tried to explain to patients, some people, everybody manifests anxiety differently. Some people manifest it in back pain, neck pain, headaches, nausea, vomiting, abdominal discomfort, distress, change in bowel habits. So you need, if you can't find coping mechanisms on your own, then it's important to find a behavioral health therapist or a psychologist that you connect with can help get you to a better spot in your life with regards to coping with these external stressors that you might not have um, implemented in your life that can help possibly eliminate a, a component of what's sometimes also driving your symptoms forward. 
Yeah, I also think a lot of you out there are probably deficient in omega-3 fatty acids. We talk about that on every podcast, I feel like. <laughs> um, but so with that said, you know, let's ask our guests a couple of questions just about their life. So Dr. Case started off by talking about what she's eaten today, but I want to know what Katie is <laughs> eating for today. <laughs> okay, so... As I mentioned, uh, sourdough is something that is low FODMAP, and I am guilty of picking up that sourdough bread starter cooking and baking it on my own. So this morning, I started off with um, two slices of my homemade sourdough, and I had it topped with avocado, olive oil, vinegar, and salt and pepper. And that's my favorite go-to breakfast for sure. Um, as well as I actually had, my friend got me on good culture, um, uh, cottage cheese. So I had some cottage cheese with some strawberries for like a snack. And then when it came to lunch, that's when I always feel like I'm running around and super busy. Uh, so that's where I actually have my low FODMAP modify health meals. And with that one um, today, I believe I had the kale pesto pasta, which was pretty delicious. And then it still has, I haven't had dinner yet, but it's um, not dinner time yet here. <laughs> oh, and she, some straw, uh, and some uh, grapes. <laughs> yeah. She is not in our time zone, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's on the West Coast. Case, what's what for dinner? Eat? Yeah. What's, what's for dinner today? Oh, that's a good question. I still haven't planned it. I, as much as we pretend like we plan and do the food planning on everything, I'm going to, uh, have to whip something up for sure. <laughs> How about you? What did you eat today, Doc Mock? Uh, so I do intermittent fasting every single day. So no breakfast for me. I had five eggs for lunch. I had a half a cup of you know mixed nuts, Brazil nuts, walnuts, pecans. I had a protein shake with some gut repair and uh, um, Nutridyne vegetable replacement. And then our dinner was some chicken thighs that were just grilled. Um, we had snow here yesterday, but today beautiful. And then um, we had some mushrooms as well as um, a bunch of kale. So just Delicious. clean yeah. eating. Yeah. Very, very yeah. clean, man. Wow. I'm impressed. Thanks. Okay. I I'm laughing at the five uh, eggs because yeah. I personally, this weekend, for some odd reason, my friend got an ostrich egg. <laughs> and so we had a huge thing of egg awesome. at breakfast. So you I want to eat it, that. <laughs> it sounds about the same. It's like yeah. uh, 21 eggs instead of five though. <laughs> That's amazing. Which brings me to my next question, Dr. Case, uh, what is one personal accomplishment that you want to accomplish in 2021? One personal accomplishment that I want to accomplish in 2021. I think I would have to say, oh, Gosh, probably doing a little better with my in-home uh, fitness routine, mm -hmm. you know, with COVID and everything, you know, a lot of us gym goers had to get redirected and create our own in-home gyms. And you think, oh, great, this is going to be so convenient. I'm just going to do it in my home and it's going to be excellent and wonderful. But then 
you know, you get home from work, you're like, I'm tired. So I've been doing a very bad job at sticking to my routine, even though I have everything at my fingertips that I need, I'm not being as consistent as I should. Well, you, hear, uh, you heard it here first, Maximal Beings. We're holding Dr. Susan Case accountable, okay? So she's going to reach this goal. Katie, what, what's the goal that you want to accomplish in 2021? That is, Dr. Case, you bring up such a great point. I feel like the motivation to do in-home workouts is very low, and I acknowledge that it will continue to stay low for myself. So I've had to find different ways to get out there. Um, especially I'm in San Francisco where we have had gyms just intermittently more closed than they have been open. Um, so I actually want to swim more. Mm. So last year I was swimming in the Bay quite often. Um, and so I think this year I really want to swim about three miles and possibly, if I say it here, then that means I have to do it, but there's the escape from Alcatraz swim. So I think, yeah, so I think that's something, uh, that me and one of my friends would love to do. So I said it out loud and that means I have to do it and sign up for it. And this is going to be in a wetsuit, a winter wetsuit, because, you know, I've been over there and that, that water is not, not nice. There are some crazy people that do not wear wetsuits, but I am not one of those crazy people. I have, I have a solid wetsuit on my, uh, it's my feet that freeze though. Don't really you lather on the What was that? Don't you lather on the Vaseline to try um, to retain the heat? That's what I'm going to have to try. Okay. I'll have to add that. That will be when next winter when it comes up, but I think at May weather, I should be fine. It should be okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, awesome. and for those of you listening out there, upcoming episode, we're going to talk about cold thermogenesis. So really <laughs> relevant as a segue. I'm glad I brought it up. <laughs> yeah. How timely of you. Dr. Case, what's something really cool that's not in the gastroenterology literature, but a wellness topic that you've read about recently that you want to share? A wellness topic that I've read about just people putting self-care as a priority, whatever it is, if it's taking a walk every day, if it's reading your favorite book, if it's painting, if, if it's taking that trip to the lake, if whatever it is, self-care, self-care. I mean, we get so bogged down with everyday work-related things um, that sometimes we forget to take moments for ourselves. And I think that can a, a lot of times be the most rewarding and, and healing. And we need those, those brief moments in time for that self-care. So more self-care. <laughs> Katie? Yeah, that's a great question. I agree that I've been learning lots about the self-care aspect and really just I feel in the last year, we've had the time to appreciate being with the people that are around us and finding ways to connect, um, you know, through Zoom or whatnot with friends and seeing how that's so important for our, um, just for our overall health. And I think picking up new hobbies um, like painting have been one of the things that I've taken away from the, the stuff I'm seeing there. Absolutely. Community is so important and we're so thankful to be building community with our wonderful guests here and all of you out there, such a supportive group of people. 
Dr. Susan Case, where can people find you on social media? You know, the minute I go on Instagram, I go right to her page because I'm always <laughs> learning something new and all of you should out there as well. I love it. Thank you for that, Doc. Um, so you guys can find me at Dr. Susan Case on Instagram. Um, that's really my main social platform uh, that I like to use. Um, so that's where you can find me. So don't hesitate to send me a DM, a follow, a hi, a question, whatever it is. If you have a question, if I have an answer, if I can point you in the right direction, I will do my very best. And for those of you listening, it's Case, which is K, A is in Apple, I, S is in Sam. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> Katie, where can people find Modify Health? Great question. So you can go modifyhealth.com or you can find us on Instagram as well. I think that seems to be our favorite form of social media, which is at I modify health. So. Uh, I I really appreciate both of you being on the show today. Uh, for those of you that are listening to this, I'll be one uh, giving a talk actually at the International Health Symposium coming up, which should be next week in June. And um, as always, I'm Doc Mock, and I'm here with Dr. Susan Case and Katie Regan with Modify Health, and we are here to maximize your health. What's going on, Maximal Beings? Doc Mock here. If you haven't done so already, leave us a comment and hit the subscribe button. Let your friends and family know. That way we can get the word out and continue to bash the bro science.